The Audio Vault on 94.1 San Antonio Sports Star is brought to you by AA Best Bail Bonds, 225-2121 or online at mybestbailbonds.com. James Pledger, Jack Thompson, The Saturday Morning Hangover. Good morning, everybody, and welcome into the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star 94.1 FM and SASportsStar.com. I am James Pledger. Jack Thompson is out today, but Katie Goodman is with me as always, and special guest, Nate Askew joining me this morning on the show. What's happening, Nate? What's up, what's up, what's up? How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm glad to be back always with the gang. It's always good to have you back in studio, man. I feel like it is a breath of fresh air when I can get you in. And, of course, having this time to talk about a bunch of different things that are happening, not only in sports, but outside of sports. I think Wimby's debut is huge. As a guy who's been here in San Antonio as long as you have, you know how big the Spurs are. But you also know how big certain athletes can be to a community, to a city, and the impact that it has. And I just don't know if San Antonio, as great as it's been, I don't know that we have quite seen an impact that Wim- that a Victor Wimbanyama is going to have on this city after just watching his first professional game in a summer league last night <laughs> i think it'd be good man i mean i was at the root pub obviously yeah. with minix and all them when they when they announced the the number one overall pick and what was going on man it was it was good energy around here i've never seen it like that but obviously i wasn't around when duncan was was drafted and in robin I mean, um not robin uh robinson yeah and all those guys so uh Maybe you know. Are you were you here around then? Did I was you, here for Duncan. The, I don't. I don't remember it. So was it? Was it, it was big hype. like that? It was yeah. hype, but, but not I, as big as this, right? I don't think it was this. But I think also social media. Obviously, we're in that area where oh, yeah. that that area where it's kind of like big now. So I think it's good for the city. Good for businesses. It's this is more than any player. Like the only thing I can compare Victor's coming out to in terms of just. The spectacle and the intense I need to see what's going on would be LeBron James. Yeah. LeBron James was selling out high school gyms. LeBron James was on TV. His high school games were on TV, and you had to get to the TV to watch a high school basketball game. Like, that's the type of hype that surrounded LeBron when he was coming out. And I remember his first game. Like, I had to be in front of a TV to see it when he opened up against the Sacramento Kings on day one. Like, it was an incredible start. And I... This feels akin to that, but also ratcheted up. And I think it's more than just social media. You think so? It has to be. To me, like social media plays a part, but everybody's got social media. Everybody's got a following. Zion was a uh, fantastic dunker, played at Duke. We got to see him. Like, we've had phenoms come out 
and social media, but this guy is international. Most Americans haven't even really seen him that much. Yeah. Well, if you listen to the commentators at the game last night, like, yeah, it wasn't probably the best performance we're going to see from him, but just the way he moved with his height and everything, like, he's a guy that changes the game. And not only is he a guy that changes the game, but he's coming to San Antonio, a place that really needs new hope. I mean, the last couple of years have been tough, right? So they need that that new player to bring about that hope. And not only that, but a guy who's a game changer, it's a perfect storm. I think part of the reason that everything is so massive surrounding Victor Wimbanyama is it's the fact we've never seen anything like this. I think that is the intrigue level that has gotten everybody. We've never seen anybody who is seven foot three and a half with handles like that with a shot from the outside. Like we've seen Kevin Durant at 6'11 do it, but even his handles weren't coming in what Victor's already are. What about, um, what's the guy named? Bobo? Bobo, is that his name? Oh, Boban. Bo, Bo, whatever. Boban Marjanovic. They call him that. I feel like he's an image of him, man. I mean, he might not be as good, but that guy is, what, 7'3", seven, 7'4"? Seven, yeah. He handles the ball. He pulls up the three ball. He's got a little bit. I don't think bit. he is, is, is. Obviously, he's not as hyped as as uh, as Victor, but that's kind of a comparison I mm-hmm. see as far as being long like that, rangy. and I don't know. We're going to see, man. Well, I, I wish the best for him. Well, also, if you looked at the game last night, he was just everywhere all the time, yeah. it felt like. Like, one step, and he's halfway across the court, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Like, so, like, he was not only shooting from outside the arc, but he was able to block the ball and get rebounds all within, like, the same play. It was actually pretty crazy. So there were yeah. moments of really good stuff that I think we can all be happy with. But, you know, we've heard a lot of stuff about how, oh, it wasn't his best performance. And, you know, is it a dud? And No, dude. It was he's game like, one. It was game one. He didn't he even admitted he didn't know what he was doing, really. You game know? one. It, you, it, you, there's new rules. It's slightly, slightly different from French basketball. And then he's been traveling. He's been going to all these different cities. He had to deal with the Britney Spears drama. Like, <laughs> poor guy. Cut him some slack. Um, but this, and I wrote about this earlier this week on com. this is the brave new world that the Spurs are entering in. Yeah. Because Tim Duncan didn't want to be a part of social media or media in general. He could have played basketball, walked off the court, never saw a camera, never signed an autograph, and been the happiest camper on the face of the earth. Yeah. <laughs> like that was his yeah. personality, and the team embraced it, and the rest of the team kind of fell in line with it. Tony Parker was the only one who really kind of liked the media attention, but even he didn't go out of his way for it because of just the way the Spurs kind of sheltered everything. Yeah. We're seeing a different spurs right now we we saw a press conference on the at&t floor with a big lego uh eiffel tower next to like (laughs) they invited all the media out to it they did a thing down on the river walk before the actual press conference we are going to see and there might be a push each way in terms of how much he's out in front versus how much the spurs kind of bring him in and there might be a meeting in the middle of sorts but this is going to be a completely different era because with someone as big and that wants to be as big because he said himself, I want to be the best at everything that includes the media. So the fact that he wants to be out front, he's not going to shy away from the cameras. He's not going to do all these different things that 
we're not used to here in San Antonio, there is good and bad to that. Because when you are this big, this hyped, there is the positive, which is your lean sports center. You're doing all these great things and people are talking about you. But there's the bad to that. And that's the Britney Spears. Like yeah. drama will find you because right. it's going to. It's period. It's not going to stay away. It's like the Dallas Cowboys. If you're in the media all the time, it's for good and bad reasons. It doesn't matter. There's no masking it because people get tired of talking glowingly about you no matter how good you are initially or at some point they will start to try and tear you down. Right. Well, I think the Spurs have to adapt at some point. They can't just go on being so, so conservative like they have been. Don't get me wrong. It's part of their brand. It's a staple part of their brand that has worked for them. I think if anyone can make the segue, it's Wimby. He's Gen Z, so he grew up with this. You know, like they grew up with phones in their hands. Like You can't tell this kid to not talk to a camera. And we're just lucky that he's well-spoken and that, you know, he... Uh, is humble and he embraces all of those qualities that the Spurs want him to in a really quality way. Because, I mean, it could be some young kid who thinks he's saying the right thing and then it backfires and that could happen too, right? But you just got to give him some, you got to give him some credit because he's so young and he's doing so well despite it all. And even more so than just being well-spoken, I feel like he is mature beyond his years because I haven't heard him lose a press conference in effect. And that that's a craft in itself to be well-spoken in the media. And the fact that at 19, he's already as well-polished in front of a microphone as he is. You know yourself, Nate. Yeah. That is a skill within itself that, sh- that is not the easiest to learn. Yeah. I mean, what's the saying? Heavy as a head that wears a crown? Fair you gotta, enough. You got to understand, man, that this kid is about to get pulled in every single direction. His time, like, it's going to be different. Like, yeah, he's a star worldwide, but you got to understand, like, now he's really a brand, the number one overall draft pick, right? He's going to get pulled in every direction and still be expected to perform at the top of his game. So my th- my big thing for him, man, is just, like, I-, I love the way he's handling it right now. Obviously, it was his first game yesterday. Yeah, he didn't play as well, I guess, for in people's eyes. But sure. I've seen a lot of upside. Um, I think he's going to be big on the a, on a offensive and defensive boards. Mm-hmm. He's, he's going to be big on grabbing rebounds. Um, and he'll find, he'll find his role. He'll, he'll figure it out. Just with everything, anything you do new, you're going to have to figure it out, figure out the lay of the land, figure out what you can do, what you need to work on. And he has a great supporting cast. So mm-hmm. I think he's going to be all right, man. I, it's it's going to be good. I think and, it's going to be good. And that's both him figuring out and the Spurs figuring yeah. it out. Like they're both trying to figure out together and how to use him. And – a lot of people are talking about his summer league debut, some glowingly, some yeah. not so glowingly because he was 2 of 13, only had 9 points, had 8 boards and 5 blocks. So, And that's where his presence is going to, I believe, initially be felt in the NBA. Yeah. I believe he's going to walk into the league as one of the better, if not best, defenders in the league. He it, He has a knack for feeling the game, blocking shots, and remember, this guy came in, he was drafted two weeks ago. The week, four days, five days prior to that, he had just finished playing. So he went from playing to being drafted to flying to San Antonio to doing a press conference to doing a photo shoot to flying out to going to Nike 
to doing media stuff there. I mean, he has been on a whirlwind. Yeah, and he looked tired. Since his feet touched the ground. Yeah, he looked like he wasn't exactly hustling or going after every single ball, you know, and I I think that's totally understandable. Is that him being lazy? I, well, okay. Well, maybe not. All right. You got me. You got me there. No. He looked no, tired. No, he's he learning how to be tired. a pro. Yeah, he's learning. And also, summer league, like, especially in those early games, you're just learning plays. Coaches aren't really enacting them as much. Like, it's more of a time to see how, you know, throw them in the fire and see how they do. And so, I think that's probably part of it, too, is just, like, learning the people who you're, who are around you. And that's going to be part of it. Like, I was saying it tongue-in-cheek in jest in the fact, like, oh, does that mean he wasn't hustling? He, he, was, he was being lazy on the court? No. But when you're as big of a supernova as Victor Wimbanyama is, that's going to be one of the side of the coins that you're going to hear. And, A, we as fans have to realize that that's going to be part of it. It's a lot like Dak Prescott, who we'll talk about later in the show as well. I mean, he is the best quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys since Tony Romo and before that since Troy Aikman. He is he is probably on the Mount Rushmore of the top four quarterbacks that have ever played for the franchise. But he is going to be scrutinized at every turn because he hasn't won a championship. Right. And even if he does, well, he had one too. And even if he does that... Lamb won three. Aikman won three. Like, there's always going to be the next yeah, but with someone that is as universally praised, especially before even playing a single NBA minute as Victor Wembanyama has. That's the hard thing about expectations, you know? Like, we all have them. And I think there was a ton of experts saying that prior to this game is to, to lower your expectations and to have patience. Like, I think all the pros knew this. Going into it, they knew this was, you know, even if he had a really strong game, I think people would still be saying to manage your expectations because he's so young. He has so many years to develop. Um, And, you know, when it comes to Dak, he's had a lot of time. Uh, He's kind of your tried and true guy, though. Like, you can guarantee he's going to get in there and... (laughs) And do his best. And, and turn the ball over. Yeah. <laughs> Shots fired. I'm trying to be nice. Oh. I'm trying to be nice. Oh, I can't wait to unpack that a little bit later. <laughs> but we're going to get further into Wimby's <laughs> debut in the next segment as he had some things to say in his post-game press conference, as most big stars do. And we're going to unpack some of what he had to say after his first game professionally as a member of the San Antonio Spurs. That's all coming up next right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM and SASportsStar.com. Thank you so much, Edwin. This makes me so happy. I don't know why, but this is an earworm. That just fills me with joy now. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> there was this great article from Matty Sky at Axios, and it was talking about this um, mariachi band here in San Antonio that the name keeps escaping me. Mariachis del Campos something. Anyway, I don't want to screw it up, so I'll have to look it up and then come back with it. But they came up with the Victor Wimbanyama 
mariachi theme. <laughs> and it, I, at first I was like, okay, this is novel, whatever. But the more I hear it, the more of an earworm it becomes. And I found it brings endorphins and joy into my life. <laughs> it is so everything San Antonio that you would want. <laughs> Perfect. And I Mariachi's now want this. Campanas de America. That's the one. Yes. And I absolutely love it. And I want this to be our Victor Wimbanyama theme here on San Antonio Sports Star every time we talk Wimby. <laughs> like when we come into a segment talking Wimby, I want this song. That's the theme. new thing. <laughs> Imagine Wimby like 10 years prior. He could have never imagined that'd be his theme song. Probably. <laughs> when I grow up, a mariachi band will write a song about me. So, positives and negatives. Victor Wimbanyama goes out in his first summer league game, just nine points, two of 13 shooting, eight rebounds, five blocks. Solid. Wasn't great. Two of 13's obviously not good. Um, some of the shots weren't close. <laughs> but some were. Some like, were there's a couple he could have dunked. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, that just didn't go in. Or, like, he missed the layup. And you're like, what? And so you know that's not him. You know, like, Victor Wimbanyama missing a layup? Come on. I would miss a layup. <laughs> I'm terrible at basketball, but him, not so much. That's how I think you know something. Nate would have dunked it. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Seven. Come on, man. Seven feet tall. No layups. I'll, I'll stand on James' shoulders, and then I'll dunk it. <laughs> no layup. But, I mean... So there's half of sports talk radio and the internet that I hear crushing him for playing so poorly offensively. And the other half is praising him because he looked pretty good. And I, the thing is, Victor Wimbanyama himself spoke after his first game and talked to his thoughts on how he did in his first game. And he, didn't really pull any punches. Yeah, special moment. Uh, really, really special. You know, to 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 wear that jersey for the first time. It's really an honor. And uh, overall, I'm I'm glad we won this game. Uh, no, there's no better way to start uh, to start uh, for a premiere. And uh, yeah, you know, I'm uh, honestly I, di- I didn't really know what I was doing on the court tonight, but uh, it's uh, it's uh, you know I'm trying to learn for the next games and. Uh, the importance is to be ready for, for the season. So he didn't really know what he was doing out there. And I think that's part of it too. You think a lot if you don't know what you're doing and thought process slows things down. You know this as a former football player. You know, if, if you're having to think your way through a play or a playbook, you're going to be a step slow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first, I want to say. I love from that little clip how he handled it. We was talking about going back to the media, right? Mm-hmm. What's the first thing he said? We got to win. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And then they did. He went, then he went to to talk about him. But I feel like he already has it. He has it down, man. Put the team first. And and I love that. But it's just going to be a learning curve, man. He's going to be all right. I, I don't know why people are panicking. Like, it, he's 19, man. He's young. He has a lot of time. The season hasn't even started. This is his first action plan, man. This is just like... I go back to my experience in the NFL, uh, my very first rookie minicamp, right? Mm-hmm. That's the first That's the first introduction you get to put on that helmet, to put that jersey on and go out there and run actual plays. And that's basically what this the is. Same thing. Same thing, right? And so it's just like, I remember, I'll never forget, man. I blew a lot of calls there because it's just like, 
you're excited to be out there one, all right, I got to do everything right, and you're trying to figure out everything, and you forget to be a player at times, and then the next time you go out there, it gets a little easier, then it gets a little easier, then the vets come around, then you learn a little little more, and next thing you know, you, you turn into a player, so he'll be all right, man, just, just take some time. Because it, there is something to the point of, I've learned all these new plays, I'm trying to get them all straight in my head, yeah. I'm thinking through it versus I know the plays, I know what to do, and my body is naturally and instinctively reacting to things. Yeah. And there are two different complete speeds to it. But let's not also forget, like I said, he was drafted just a couple of weeks ago. Before that, not even a week before the actual draft, he was playing in a championship game in his French league where he played over 60-something games that season playing into the finals of Pro-A, gets on a plane, heads to Brooklyn, goes on a media tour, whirlwind, gets drafted, more media, flies to San Antonio, more media. He didn't have his first practice again with his new teammates until last week. So he's been two weeks probably without even practicing. And you talked about, you know, he looked like he was kind of taking it slow out there and wasn't rushing, wasn't diving, which, A, he shouldn't have been because it's summer league. There's no need for that. But at the same point, maybe his conditioning was a little down. I've had a couple practices with um, the the roster guys. You know, uh, after the guys uh, of the summer league, after our summer league team went to Sacramento. And, uh, yeah, this is pretty much all the the, the basketball I could do. I was working working out by myself a couple of days before this, and uh, yeah, it was it's really a it was really a special time for me because it's between the end of my season and the draft of obviously and and then the summer league, you know. But uh, yeah, I feel like I I, um, I I really need the you know the rest that will come after, and uh, the summer is gonna be is gonna be amazing for my development, I'm sure. So he admitted himself. He's been on a whirlwind tour. He hasn't played a lot since the end. And, and you know, even come back from injury, both of y'all know, a couple weeks off, that can really mess with your conditioning. But also traveling, that always gave me dead leg. You know, I always kind of just, it was always hard getting back and moving. That's why it's harder to play on the road yeah. for that reason. But, Nate, I want to know what you think about, you know, what I liked about his response with the media was how he said, I didn't know what I was doing, but that can also backfire. So, like, what? Do you, how do you handle those situations? I feel like there's no right answer for everybody. There's a right answer for you, right? And so him, he has to know and trust and believe in what he says, how he answers this question, and understand that outside noise doesn't matter. And I think the biggest thing for these young guys to to really grasp is the coaches say it on every team, any team I've ever been on, any locker room, the only people that matter is the guys in this locker room. And no matter what he said, he, I feel like he answered it right. So what what can you, how can you critique, critique what he said to, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. What it, it's, a, it's a reason he doesn't know what he's doing. Obviously, he just came off a 60-game season. He just, You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. not like we're... We're three months into the season, and he's saying, I don't know what I'm doing, right? Right. It's the first game. So I feel like he just needs to trust the process. The locker room has his back. The coaches, everybody, 
the Spurs has a great job of putting together a whole team beyond basketball, right? From front office to media to marketing to everything, right? And just trust in those guys and lean into them, and everything will be all right. I like that. I like how you talk about answering it with honesty from yourself and what you feel and less about giving the answer that the media want to hear because they're, you're right, there's no, there's no right answer. There's no right answer. I just thought of that because in my head, I'm like, that's a great answer. I like yeah. the way he went with that. Mm-hmm. It was humble, on, like, on brand, but also you know there's going to be people out there no, saying something. Main rules is don't, don't speak bad about your teammates. <laughs> don't, <laughs> yeah. don't, don't do that. Um, yeah. Keep in-house, in-house problems in-house. And everything else open, answer truthfully. And it's not about me; it's about the team. It's about the team. Yeah. You stick to those, and you're gonna be okay. Yeah. Because if you put, end up putting yourself above the team, that's the other thing exactly. that you kind of they're gonna take it and run with a whole different direction. They don't need to go. So yeah. you 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 stick to those those three things and answer everything else the best you can. It's not a problem. You're right. Because there are gonna be people who find fault with I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. He's not supposed to know what he's doing. Yeah. He's been a spur for a week and a half. <laughs> Nobody knows what they're doing at that point. I don't care how quickly you digest and ingest information. Yeah. It's impossible. He's going to be learning. This entire first season is going to be learning. Plus, he's just out of rhythm. Like, we talked about the traveling. We talked about coming, you know, off of a championship game and then, okay, a two-week rest and you know, going to all these dinners with all these people and trying to handle fame, being pulled in multiple directions. Like, all of this at once is something he's going through. And not only that, a whole new time zone. He's in a different country. You know, like, and I know he speaks English really well, but for anyone who's ever spoken another language, you can be pretty much fluent. And it's still a little bit exhausting if it's not your main language and you're being forced to talk all the time. So there's that adjustment phase when you move to a new country, even if you know the language. Right. So I don't know. I, I think he'll be fine once he starts getting a rhythm. We're going to see a very different version of him by the time NBA kicks off. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's going to have a full training camp yeah. under him. He's not playing in the FIBA World Cup, which I think is fantastic for his rookie season and not being stretched a too thin. And playing that much basketball in that short amount of period of time, giving his body after summer league's done time to finally rest, and then just kind of getting into the Spurs system, going through a full training camp, going through a full preseason, getting everything together. I think it's going to set him up for success moving forward, but he was asked, what are some of the things after this first game that he really wanted to focus on to get ready for this upcoming NBA season? I think there's a lot of conditioning to do um, to be able to to play in the 82-game season. And uh, especially the play style, you know, we, we run a lot. It's, uh, it's really exhausting. Even if even though that was only 40 minutes tonight, uh, when I came out, when I, when I was subbed out, I was always, like, tired. And uh, exhausted, so I think there's a lot of conditioning to do. Conditioning. Harry knows he needs to work on his conditioning because it's going to be different. And he even mentioned it. The play style is different, which means because I love to super analyze things that are said, <laughs> Spurs are going to be playing at a very, very fast tempo. They're going to have to. Yeah. You ha- at some point, you have to. Yeah. But it's not 
like we got to see it a little bit last year with the Spurs yeah. running with yeah. this young group, but this just confirms he understands that yeah. this they're going to get out, push the pace, really dictate things, and he him being a part of this team helps them continue to go in that direction to where they can really push the pace because at someone who's seven three grabs a rebound, he can immediately bring it up because of his handles and because of his vision initiate the offense. You have him, Jeremy. So you got a bunch of guys that can rip and run. And he's agile enough to get into tight spots and find the seams. That's what we saw last night. Mm-hmm. We saw a lot of really solid passing, play creation, unselfishness. There's a couple of times he could have had a two, but instead he passed the ball, gave it to his teammate for the secure shot. I love that. I love that kind of stuff. That's very Spurs-like. And, you know, like I said, he missed a couple <laughs> of obvious shots. But I think it's obvious that if you're missing obvious shots that you're tired. You're tired. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. is Katie Goodman. He is Nate Askew. I'm James Pledger. This is the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star. When we come back, Dak Prescott is always a lightning rod for the quarterback that seems to be very divisive, not just amongst Cowboy fans, but amongst NFL fans in general. Where does he fit into the NFL pantheon? How good could he be? We heard Nate a little bit earlier. We'll expand on that when we get back right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star 941 FM and com. Sometimes Dak Prescott is the enemy. Welcome back to the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star 94.1 FM. SASportsStar.com depends who you talk to. I think 50% say he's the hero. 50% say he's the enemy. But 100% know that he's polarizing. (laughs) And then there's a few percent who are pretty neutral about the Dallas Cowboys in general. Unaffected, so to speak. So we'll get right into it because I want to roll into this audio from Colin Cowherd because it's a little bit lengthier. But Colin Cowherd earlier this week was talking about Dak Prescott and kind of where he falls in the NFL pantheon. Story in Sports Illustrated this morning. They said the pressure is really high for Dak Prescott to get over the hump in his career. Really? I mean, this Cowboy team is going to be much more Dak dependent. Zeke is gone. Amari Cooper is gone. Dalton Schultz is gone. His great offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, is gone. Uh, Tyron Smith is almost gone. He gives you about half a season, the great all-time left tackle. This is a very Dak dependent team. And that's okay. Dak pre-big contract when he had more help, won 62.5% of his games and got a playoff win. Take away the franchise year, the year he was hurt, post-big money, little less help, he's won actually 67% of his games and another playoff win. The NFC, I would argue, is a bit weaker. That's where the wins came from. But Dak has always been a um, a little bit more athletic Kirk Cousins. He's Kirk Cousins with a star on his helmet. Is there huge pressure for Kirk Cousins to get over the hump this year? Or do we sort of know what Kirk Cousins is? 
We know what Kirk Cousins is, and we know what Dak is. In fact, if you look at Dak through his seven years and Kirk through his 11, they're identical, identical quarterbacks. Their passer ratings are both 97.8. Their completion percentages, 66%. Touchdown to interception ratio, 2.5 to 1. Kirk averages, you know, four more yards passing a game, 261 to 257. One has a star on their helmet. I So when I, because I have made the Kirk Compos- Cousins comparison to Dak Prescott a lot. But I don't mean it as disrespect. Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. He needs things around him to be right in order to win. I think there are only... We we throw around the term elite too loosely now in the NFL, especially with quarterbacks. Everybody seems to have to be in the elite category. You're not. There are, in my opinion, probably two elite quarterbacks in the NFL. Maybe a third, but that is yet to be really determined. Well, the definition of elite in itself is to exceed the status quo, right? And not everyone in the NFL can exceed the status quo of everybody Right. So, like, of course, there's going to be outliers like Patrick Mahomes. Like, not everyone can be that. And but at the same time, for the Cowboys, who else are they going to pull? Right. I mean, I think Dak is the best that they got. He's still going to go in and do a good job. Is it Super Bowl worthy? Probably not. I don't know if I would be Dak reliant. I don't know if I'd be (laughs) a Dak reliant team, but uh, you better get some tools around them if you want to at least. Get to the playoffs. And the one argument I have with Collins' argument is the fact that they are DAC-dependent this year. I don't think they are. I think that defense is going to lead the way for them. That defense is going to be phenomenal for the Cowboys this season. Dan Quinn's got them firing. They brought back a whole bunch of pieces. They've added pieces. Stephon Gilmore on the other side of Trayvon Diggs. They've brought Mozzie Smith up front to help solidify that run defense. And they re-signed basically all of their key free agents on that side of the ball. That that unit's going to be elite this season, I think. And the fact that they got him help in the form of Tony Pollard's finally going to get all the touches, which I think for a couple of years should have been the case. You've got Brandon Cooks on the other side of C.D. Lamb. Michael Gallup is your third in the slot. Like They've got enough weapons now surrounding Dak. Sure, he's lost Dalton Schultz, which was a big safety blanket to him. But it tells me they feel really good about either Jake Ferguson, Peyton Hendershot, or the guy that they took in the second round, Luke Shoemaker out of Michigan. And that's something the Cowboys have done really well is they're recruiting through free agency. Like throughout the past like five, six years, that is the one mm-hmm. piece that they've gotten right in preseason. So I wouldn't be surprised if they get it right again this season. So when I say like he's not elite, it's not a slight. When I say he's like Kirk Cousins and things have to be a right around him, there's a lot of quarterbacks you say that about. Josh Allen has to have things right. Is Josh Allen going to be good without uh, Stephon Diggs on one side of him? To be dope. Do, does he <laughs> like he still hasn't had a really good running back behind him? Yeah. So is the, is that a knock? Because he turns the ball over about as much as Dak yeah. did last season. I think the big difference is is uh, the star on on Dak's helmet. If you put the same Dak Prescott in Tampa Bay pre pre Tom Brady, mm-hmm. the, the, he's Kirk Cousins and it wouldn't be an issue with it, right? It's just the fact that they saying that because it's he plays for the Cowboys. 
and it's a big market team. Everything you do is magnified, and they're gonna find something to to, to pick apart. It's just, it's just the way it is, man. I played for all small market teams, so it was it was easy. Like the mm-hmm. play with Jake Locker was my first quarterback, Mike <laughs> Mike Glennon, right? Uh, wow. uh, Josh McCown. Like I, I'm just obviously Kim was an MVP when I was there, mm-hmm. but that's a different team, but. Those are small market guys nobody's talking about. We're not getting those prime time games unless we play. You get one a year, right? Mm-hmm. The Cowboys are prime time every week, dang there. And it's magnified. So no matter what he does, I did say he turned the ball over a lot because he do. But, you but made that a good was an point. outlier last year. You, you made a good point that so so does everybody else. And that's the difference between good and great. And you, you use the word elite. It's only two elite quarterbacks in this league. Everybody else you're in the NFL for a reason. You're a starter for a reason, right? Yeah. You're just that much better. But these guys just make one more play, maybe two more plays a game, and that makes them in a different category. How many teams in the NFL would kill to have a Dak on the roster? Well, will we say a, a, at least 18, 18 to 22? 18, 18, 22 for sure. And you could say the same thing about Kirk Cousins. Yeah. I, I believe it is yet to be seen with Justin Herbert because – there is the wow, big arm, all the tools. Look at that wow throw. But like he's done nothing in the NFL to this point outside of statistically, right? Yeah. And he's got all the weapons around him. They even gave him more this year with drafting Quentin Johnston out of TCU. Yeah. So him having an actual legitimate, because Joe Lombardi is a joke of offensive coordinator, I believe. <laughs> Brandon Staley is uh, before that it was Pep Hamilton, I believe. Pep, no, Pep. shout out to Pep. Shout out yeah. to Pep. He <laughs> gave us one of the worst offenses in the league last year. <laughs> but like he hasn't had a, a legitimate NFL offensive coordinator to this point in his career. Kellen Moore is coming in, and we will see because we've seen he helped Dak engineer the number one offense in the NFL at one point. Can Kellen Moore do a similar thing for Justin Herbert? Remains to be seen. Now we need to see if Mike McCarthy can engineer the same type of offensive production that Kellen Moore did. (laughs) Because, as he just said, Mike initiated it in the exit of Kellen Moore. (laughs) Christopher Summers on our YouTube live feed says, Stop with the Dak hates. One bad season turning the ball over won't happen again. I said that. Last year was an outlier for him. I'm not saying that he turns the ball over a lot every single year. Last Just when year, it matters. Let, let's go back <laughs> like to – hold on now. If we're going to be honest, we're going to call it a spade a spade. Hey, let's go. Let's call it a spade. Call it a spade. Every time in the playoffs, when that play needs to be made, he turns the ball over. Whether it's, whether a it's a, a crucial time, fumble, interception, it's, it's happened. So don't I mean I ain't gonna just say he go out here and just have ten turnovers a game, but in the most crucial moment, if you turn the ball over one time that game, you turn the ball over. And let's face it, the reason Dak is facing this scrutiny is his lack of success in the playoffs. Yes, yeah. right. But also, let's not forget he had hand surgery. I mean, we got to give him a little bit of credit. For no, that. I don't feel sorry for nothing. If you no. suit, if you suiting up and getting on that field, you better, you better be the best version of you. Mm. All right, all right. That's true. Nate's cutthroat over here. Man. I'm just because the business is cutthroat, right? right like right. you got to think about it. Like yeah. I can, we can't sit here and hold his hand. If you on that field, you better perform. Yeah. yeah.
Zeke played through an MCL sprain a couple years ago, or last year, I think it was, and he was stealing touches from Tony Pollard, and he wasn't himself. And it was obvious he wasn't himself. Everybody watching, except Mike McCarthy, apparently knew he wasn't right, yet he is taking criticism because he is on the field. I get that you're trying to help your team. Yeah. You're hurting your team by. But sometimes you're hurting your team. Well, sometimes you at seventy percent is better than the backup at a hundred percent. That's the problem. That That's wasn't the, problem the case. With it wasn't the case Dak. there, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and even with Dak, Dak at whatever percentage was better than Cooper Rush. I understand that Cooper yeah. Rush went four and one in Dak's absence, but. All the offensive numbers across the board were down. The defense helped carry them to that form one. Cooper Rush just don't turn the ball over. That was manage the offense, score when you have to, don't don't turn the ball over. Joshua Jimenez, what are we talking about with Dak? He is elite. Just like the great RJ Ochoa said yesterday on R and R in the morning, elite along with Jared Goff. <laughs> <laughs> And he's right. Some, RJ someone's did. a fan. Someone's a fan. <laughs> no, he's making fun of something that RJ said yesterday on because he's he along with everybody else, like I said, is lowering the bar of what an elite quarterback is. And I don't think everyone deserves to be an elite class. Yeah. I don't think there should be everyone. You have to earn your way in through your play, and there are only a couple that I would consider elite in the NFL currently. Because they just, when Patrick Mahomes can lose a Tyreek Hill and raise his level of play along with the team, that is an elite quarterback. Yeah. Well, I also think the difference between just really good and elite is where you put them. Like, you can put them on a totally different team and they're still going to make things happen despite having perfection around them. Like, you could put Patrick Mahomes at Dallas and it would be a different result. I believe it. Joe, Joe Burrow's the it. one, like, I think he's elite because of what he's done with a porous offensive line in front of him for the most part of his career. They are rectifying that over the last year, and this year signing Orlando Brown in free agency, I think they are rectifying that. But, I mean, at LSU, that's what one of the top three college football teams we've ever seen. Let's face it, he was throwing not only to Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, who was the best wide receiver in the league right now, he was also throwing to Terrence Marshall, who was a second-round pick. He had Clyde Edwards-Alaire behind him, who was a first-round pick. Like he had Thaddeus Moss at tight end. Like he, he had some guys. He had dudes. And since he's got <clears throat> to Cincinnati, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, like he's had weapons there too. We've never seen him devoid of weapons. But I give him the the benefit of the doubt because of playing through a bad offensive line. I've seen that ruin quarterbacks. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's why I put him in the elite category with Patrick Mahomes, plus the fact that he's 3-1 and one against Patrick Mahomes in his career. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> she is Katie Goodman. He is Nate Askew. I'm James Pledger. When we get back, though, if you had a fictional character that you could swap out lives with, who would it be and why? Who is the best fictional character in the world? We'll discuss next right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star 941 FM and com.
Welcome back into the Saturday Morning Hangover. James Pledger, joined along by Katie Goodman and Nate Askew this morning. Joshua Jimenez on our YouTube Live. You can subscribe at SA Sports Star. Comment along with the show. Herbert Mahomes, Burrow, Hurts, and Lamar, the elite QBs in the NFL, right? No. To me, Who did they say? Who? Burrow and Mahomes. And that's it. That's they my put list. Herbert in there? They put Herbert. They put Hurts. They put Lamar. I think Hurts is bordering Hertz it. Hurts is bordering it, yeah. Because he we took one a team that wasn't supposed to yeah. go to the playoffs to the playoffs two years ago when he kind of made his, and then they built around him, and he took that and put an MVP season together and led them to the Super Bowl when they surrounded him with weapons after the, leading them to the playoffs. If he continues on this path, yes, I would consider him in that, but I need to see him continue to do it to put him into that class. Those are the only two I got, though. But before we went to break, I decided to ask a very poignant question of who is the best fictional character of all time? And who you'd want to trade your life with, right? If you could live a life, what would it be? Now, this is different from who is your favorite because one of my favorite fictional characters of all time is Tony Stark, Iron Man. I like him. He is one of my favorites because he is flawed. And that is... I wish you could see the mouse right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they can. On YouTube, oh, they can nice. see it. <laughs> but he's, he's one of my favorite characters because he's flawed. He's had problems with alcohol and dependency. He has anxiety in terms of contingency plans against even his own friends. And there is a paranoia to his brilliance of being super intellectual. That's why he's one of my favorite characters, but it doesn't make him the best character. In my opinion, the best character is someone who symbolizes hope, Mm. the good of man, the best of humanity. To me, that's Superman. Superman is meant to be a force that inspires hope, that inspires the best in people, that can bring out our best attributes what we're supposed to be because that's what that's what comics that's what heroes are for they're supposed to inspire us to kind of be the best versions of ourselves that's kind of how i feel about wonder woman exactly she's kind of a at least the wonder woman now versus the linda carter version was kind of sexualized and there's all <laughs> kinds of issues with you know all that in the 70s but we won't go into that the one with gal gadot though i think i think she really embodied when it means to be a woman, independent, but still feminine, to have some hope, you know, to, you know, go through life not so heavy handed, but also with boundaries. I think <laughs> I think she's just a great balance. And I don't know. And she can fly, you know, she, <laughs> she, the whole spinny thing. She's got that lasso of truth. So no lion. I mean, you know, Linda no Carter did the spinny thing, too. Out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but, you know, I mean, that are Powerpuff Girls. You know what I'm saying? Fly around and. Zap stuff. Oh, yeah. Powerpuff Girl. Right. Buttercup. Mojo Jojo. Mojo Jojo. What about you, Nate? Um, I was thinking about this for a minute. It's a lot. But I'll say say this. Um, For me personally, Mm -hmm. I would have to say Black Panther. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason so is for me, looking and seeing someone of color being in such a powerful role um 
I could just imagine me being young. Obviously, I was older when the movie came out, R.I.P. Chadwick. Mm-hmm. But it's just seeing everything he was about, man, and such the power role he played and, and, and everything about him just kind of gave me hope, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I see that, and I'm just like, yeah, like, I'll be the Black Panther for sure. Put a whole <laughs> Put a whole country, whatever it is, on his back, man, and protect it and fight for it and and stick to his values. So that's, that's what I'll be, Black Panther. I love Black Panther too, and how his sister kind of stepped up, and yeah, how like it was yeah. like this whole family network, yep. and it's just a lot of really good values in one movie. Chris Gonzalez says it's Bruce Wayne for him. That is a can't go wrong. That man. is a lot of emotional stress to deal with. <laughs> like, yeah. If you want to, if you want to go in a certain way, like. I mean, it'd be great to say James Bond or Ethan Hunt, like, but that is a life filled with stress. Yeah. Like you are constantly paranoid and anxious that something's going to go wrong and you're trying to, people are trying to kill you. Like that is a lot that's to like deal with. That's like every superhero though. Yeah. For like, sure. That's the cross you bear. <laughs> For sure. Ooh, hold that power. But, <laughs> you know, he, think about it. Such He's a nerd. He lost both of his parents. <laughs> I mean, one out. of his Robins got killed. Like there, there's just a lot to Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. That is a great answer. Joshua I'd be Rebecca. Jimenez. I would be Rebecca. Let me own the club. Give me all the money. <laughs> I'll pick the players. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there, there are crosses to bear for all. But in terms of one of the greatest, I would want to inspire humanity to be the best version of itself. And, Everybody knows that I'm a huge Iron Man fan. I'm a fan of the Marvel comics. I even like Batman. But in terms of greatest fictional character, I think it's Superman because he inspires hope. She is Katie Goodman. He is Nate Askew. I'm James Pledger. Vincent Segovia says John Wick. That would be fun. John Wick is sick. John Wick is sick. (laughs) We'll be back with more right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover as Wimby made his debut. We'll break it down next, right here on 941 San Antonio Sports Star. James Pledger, Jack Thompson, the Saturday morning hangover. Welcome into the Saturday morning hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star, 941 FM, SA One hour in the books, one hour to go. Nate Askew joining me, Katie Goodman, as always, as we keep you going until 11 o'clock. Jason Garcia on one of uh, our debate on kind of best fictional character, Iron Man versus Doctor Doom. Look, Hmm. I'm a fan of both, especially Iron Man, but best and favorite are two different arguments in my world, and there is a lot of personal strife in Iron Man's life. Non-superhero, he'd want to be Marty McFly. Give me that vest. Way to go, Chris Gonzalez. You're playing the game. Think it outside the box, and I like it because it's fictional character, not just superheroes. superheroes. Yeah. So it could be anyone. (laughs) I think superheroes are really easy to identify with. They are. There's a lot of good, and they give you that duality of good and bad and being human, but also having super duper powers. <laughs> Which could always be fun. <laughs> fun and backfire. <laughs> so we got our first look at Victor Wimbanyama last night as he made his Summer League debut in the Las Vegas Summer League in front of nearly 18,000 fans in Las Vegas, selling out highest ticket prices ever for a Vegas Summer League game since they 
had started keeping count of those prices, averaging $96 per ticket to get in. So this was a feat. There were people lined up outside of the arena since 3 a.m., hoping to even catch a glimpse of him walking it. <laughs> like, this... Can be me. This is something... And we were talking about it in the break, and I'll bring it to the the forefront. This is the Spurs need to capitalize on this now. The AT and T Center is two thousand two, I believe, so it is over twenty years old now, twenty one years old. It is about time for a new stadium. As nice as it is, as good as it still looks, I think it's time to scout a new location. For a new stadium. You can keep the AT&T Center. Let the rodeo have it. (laughs) Seriously. This way you don't have to leave town for a month in February. This way you have the possibility of still being able to host an NBA All-Star game. Something that is your own thing. It is time to start looking at a new stadium. Because with Victor Wimbanyama, there is the chance of an economic boon. The likes of what... We've never seen. Think about Texas Live, where you've got Globe Life Field and uh, uh, Jerry World both surrounding it. People can go watch the games there. They can drink there. After the games, they can go there. Think about the Deer District in Milwaukee and how awesome that was to see during the Bucks uh, NBA championship run where people are just all over this place. Think of a place where San Antonians could go to a game Maybe the game sold out because it's Victor Wimbanyama, and there are going to be a lot of sellouts, I believe, this year. You can't get tickets to the game, but it can feel like you can be a part of the atmosphere still. There is a district of bars right outside the stadium where you can go, and there's this new bar uh, called McIntyre's. You go to the Rue Pub where they have those three huge flat screens, or there's an outdoor section where there's these big, massive TVs that you can watch the game on, cheer the team on, be a part of the action, and as that game ends, all those people flow into that bar district. Right. They do the same in Austin next to Q2 Stadium. They have the domain. They have all of these little breweries that have popped open and warehouses. Like, there's ways in which you can build around it, but I I think a new studio, studio, new stadium is long overdue, and whatever they do, they need to plan to build around it at the same time. Yeah, there's stuff, you know... All over San Antonio. I think up north, up 281, there's a lot of space out there that they could work with. And they could even build a whole new development right within walking distance. Mm -hmm. I think that's the move. Jason Garcia says, South Thomas Prime, yet no one sees that. And Chris Gonzalez says, do you remember when SS&E wanted to build a stadium next to Heroes out at Toyota Field? Yeah, but I don't think Heroes in that area of town is great. Because that's the problem with... What they just did. Right. They built something and they planned to build up around it and they never built up around it. Right. And now it's too late. Right. And I think Southtown's too crowded to handle a whole new stadium and then the development it needs around there. It's almost like you need chains and stuff too on top of like also the local breweries and pubs and stuff. I would like a downtown stadium. I think that would be a prime spot. It has to be though. You, right? Uh, central. At to, least. Yeah, yeah, central. You can't go all the way. What, you going to go to Castroville? Like, 
going to go to the north side? You're going to go way to Johnson City? Like, you know what I'm saying? It I mean, be... the north side works for me, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it works for us, right? Well, it works in Austin at Q2. It's way up north, and then you you just stay up there. Because you go to the domain, you also yeah. have all those breweries, and then downtown is like 15 minutes south if you really want to go there. So it's not out of reach. That's why I feel like 281-1604, if you just pop down the highway, it's not too bad. But also, I'm not a developer. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because you look at growth trends, right? Yeah. And growth trends are going north. Yeah, they're going north. Mm-hmm. Sure. So. North and west. So I would I would look at that or downtown. Because downtown has already got kind of the infrastructure. You can still build around the stadium, a bar district and stuff. But everything can pour down to the Riverwalk and the same way it does out of the Alamo Dome. Yeah. Right? It's going to be interesting to see how they handle this moving forward because you know a new stadium is coming at some point soon. They just built that massive practice facility out near the uh, called the Rock out near La Cantera, mm-hmm. which is going to open this season. This is where they're going to start practicing. This is where they're going to have all these other things outside because it's not just their practice facility. They're going to have a bunch of things within this development. That's the whole point of it. It is more than just the Spurs practice facility. There's going to be doctors. There's going to be all kinds of businesses within the rock. Do they, do they build something out there close to that? Cause that's the North side of town. Yeah. I don't know. That's tough. I'm just, I'm thinking about, sorry to cut you off, but okay. I'm just thinking about where you can fit all of that in a good area. Mm-hmm. It's just tough to say that. Do we tear down the Alamo Dome? I mean, I would. And rebuild there? Have UTSA get their own stadium? I think that would help UTSA, actually. I think so, too. UTSA needs closer an on-campus. To where they at. Yeah. Yeah. Or closer to that. It helped UCF. Because the Alamo Dome is prime location, so if you're going to do it around that, then base bars around that, perfect. Maybe to the Riverwalk. It highlights San Antonio's, mm-hmm. you know, their their downtown, their culture, everything like that. So I, I feel like it has to stay downtown almost. I kind of feel that too. It would it be way to. more unique if it were yeah. downtown, you yeah. know, and I feel like that's very San Antonio to have like that kind of unique. I don't know. I mean, you have the Alamo, you have the Riverwalk, you have yeah. all these things yeah. like. Because although, like like you say, in, in Austin, like, yes, North, and they had a domain and all that, and it's, like, two different cities. Houston's like that. Like, they have Midtown up to whatever it is. Dallas has Uptown, Downtown. Yeah. We don't really have that here. And I like yeah. Midtown in Houston. Yeah, I do, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big But fan we don't really Midtown. have that here, though. So we have to – I think it has to stay downtown kind of, man, somewhere yeah. down there. It would be nice if they can just find the space they need for oh, the bars around There's space all it. over the town. The, the problem is – that's my thing. Yeah, the problem is there's spaces everywhere. Yeah. We have all of the space we need. Yeah. We could go anywhere in this town and find space. Yeah. The problem is building it where, where people want to go to that space. Mm. Because people are going to travel to see Wimby. They're going to want to see Wimby. Mm-hmm. That's going to – but having the space and then building the space are two different things. Yeah. Yeah. Because we have the space where the AT&T is, Sarah, is currently located. They have done nothing with the space. Yeah. It is still just an industrial area. Yeah, you're right. But it's also, there's a lot of houses around there. True. And you don't want to just bulldoze houses, especially a lot of those houses have been in families for 
a very long time. So that's that's the problem people have with gentrification, and that's essentially what would be required to make that space what we want it to be. There's a lot of industrial sites, but they In could the do so much with that. They could do so much with that, and nobody it. is. They're going to take it regardless. They're going to take yeah. it. Like, yeah. if I know anything about infrastructure, if they want it, they'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> this is true, but then why haven't they? I watch, uh, I watch New Braunfels with a whole bunch of old nice houses down Walnut when they decided to widen that. If they want it, they'll give you enough money to take it. So and then another thing, I feel out. like San Antonio has a lot of historic buildings downtown mm-hmm. that you can't touch. So it's going right. it's going forever look like that almost, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How do you get around that? I don't know. And Is even it, the Frost Tower but had what's to be historic? shorter because of of right? you know, sky rides, air rides, whatever they call it. Like yeah. they made it like ten stories shorter than it was originally planned for. Yeah. And that building we don't is change still empty, much. Yeah. Still empty, right? They still. <laughs> It was like a hundred thousand. I don't know about now, but it was like a hundred thousand a month Oof. to rent out the top floor on it. Hundred thousand. We got that kind of money in the show. Man, I don't know. It's Spence. here. It's here. Spence will move us to the top floor. <laughs> Spence, what do you think? Is it in the budget? <laughs> we got that top floor studio. Yeah. I could use a nice look out the window. Yeah. Right now, I don't have any windows. I've never had windows. It makes these YouTube videos way more interesting. I know this <laughs> thing is locked down like a compound, I swear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is Nate Askew. She is Katie Goodman. I'm James Pledger. A lot to dissect as these spurs, we start to look forward with them. But let's look back. Let's look at Wimby's first game. He spoke after it. What are his thoughts on his performance and where he needs to get better? We'll break it all down next right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM and SASportsStar.com and on YouTube at SASportsStar. Subscribe, follow, and like. This is Rudy J from r in the Morning. Set your alarm and wake up with us morning 6 to 10. Plenty of sports and good fun right here on 94.1 San Antonio Sports Star. San Antonio Sports Star, 941 FM. This is the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star. She is Katie Goodman. Jack Thompson is out. But in for him, I got my good friend Nate Askew, former NFL football player, former fighting Texas A&M Aggie, former Madison Maverick. When <laughs> 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 we were just talking in the break about the differences in facilities just from when you played. Yeah, it's night and day. <laughs> I, I feel like all over though, but like yeah, A and M is on another level right now. Like these guys got a barber shop in the, in, the, in the locker room, man. TVs when you wash your hands in the mirror, like it's getting out of like. Come on, man, you are gonna spend two seconds in the mirror? But you have to. But you have to for recruiting these kids now. Is I remember when I was coming out, man. Like these guys were choosing schools over if it was Nikes or Adidas. Right, yeah. like it's like, oh, they're they're Adidas school. I'm not going there. Like, what? What kind of logic does that make? It was hey, crazy. I want to play a Nike. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to play a Nike, man. Like Nike's not paying you. Like, just calm down. But it's crazy. Didn't you know what? Look good, feel good, play good. Play good. You're right. <laughs> I was choosing my school based on the dorms. <laughs> yeah. Dorms, good looking guys. Ah! <laughs> For sure. Locker room. <laughs> 
Y'all stayed in dorms? Yeah, we oh, had our terrible. own. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but they were like hotels. They were really nice. They were brand new. We were off-campus. Off-campus apartments. What? Shout out to A&M yeah. and what? Big Money. Yeah. No way. Man, yeah. now I feel jaded. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jaded and gypped. Them Texas schools, they just play Big Bank Lil' Bank. That's all they do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They got to keep up. Got to keep up. We just got done. Sophomore year, we got apartments, but not freshman year. We had to room together. I mean, we had to room together, but it was off-campus apartments, though. Even your freshman year? Freshman year. That's some Mm -hmm. bold. All the freshmen had to stay in one apartment, but it was off-campus. And then after that, you can move wherever. I moved to a house after that, so. We just got done talking about kind of building out a bar district around a new stadium and what sites would work out. And, uh... Of course, if you want to be a part of the conversation, 656 ESPN, 656-3776. Don had an idea about a new arena for the Spurs. Don, welcome into the Saturday Morning Hangover. Well, first of all, if the city would have passed a quarter-cent sales tax back then, that the Spurs would be playing next to the Alamo Dome in the south parking lot. But then... The county saved the Spurs from leaving, and they built it on their property out there at uh, where it is now. And I worked out there in that area, and I knew that that area would never be developed. Now, they're also talking about building a baseball stadium downtown. Well, just across the street north of the Alamo Dome, and right next and across the railroad tracks from Sunset Station, there is a big open area that would be great for for either the, you know, probably a baseball stadium because I don't think they'll ever move the AT&T Stadium. Because, you know, it's out there, it's built. But I could have told you a long time ago, and in fact, way back when on your competing station, when Charlie Parker was doing sports, I told him then that that area would never be developed. Yep, a lot it's of people felt that. And, and there's no place to put restaurants. And oh, were they going to make Alamo... Uh, uh, what you call it? Plaza. Uh, uh, <laughs> Alamo Ironworks move again oh. because mm-hmm. that's where they're at. So, I mean, it, it it would be nice if everything was downtown, but it didn't happen because the city didn't vote in the quarter cent sales tax that they wanted to build a new arena in the south parking lot of the Alamo Dome. I mean, I, I, I understand that there is going to be, when a new stadium proposal comes, there is going to be a tax that is going to be placed on the people in order to build said stadium. And on top of that, remember, that was free land given to the Spurs to build on from the county, not the city, which is why Bear County has the rights to a, a whole different set of circumstances on why it's at the AT&T Center is where it is and what it's doing, what it's doing. I appreciate the phone call, Don. Yeah, downtown will work. And if you build a minor league or major league stadium or a minor league stadium that can grow into a major league stadium, that's part of the greatness of having a down. Philly did that. 
Xfinity Live surrounds like all three of their professional sports stadiums. The more stuff you can put around, like stadium-wise, like if you can put the AT&T Center or whatever they're going to call new basketball facility along with a minor league ballpark for where the missions will play and maybe develop into AAA. And also, let's say, you keep the Alamo Dome and, and UTSA continues to play there. All of a sudden, all these things feed into the same area and you can build out with restaurants and stuff around it and completely turn around that area and it just becomes an influx of money. A spot that they're starting to redevelop again is also the old Lone Star Brewery. They had tried to do that before COVID hit and then mm-hmm. COVID hit and all went to Crapola. But <laughs> now they're starting back up on it. So that's also going to bring in a lot of people. So, I mean, yeah, I think also when you look at, say, Houston, they have um, they have the soccer stadium, the baseball stadium right there. All of all of that in, in one spot Over will attract 59. even more. Yeah, I mean, traffic's hellacious, but... It uh, does the trick. There's people there constantly in that area for one reason or another. And then the other side of town, you have Energy Stadium, and just down 610 a little ways, you've got, um, uh, what do they call it now, the Toyota Center. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, And those are relatively close together to where you've got a whole bunch of things that feed into that side of town. So they've kind of split their sports stuff to between two different kind of parts of town. But both thrive because of it. Mm. I just wish the Toyota Stadium would be closer to the Spurs Stadium, too. I feel like when it comes to soccer and baseball, soccer is slowly becoming the top three and four sports versus, Mm -hmm. you know, baseball. It's starting to climb. We have Men's World Cup coming up. And I think, you know, if there is space available, I'd like to see that as a soccer stadium more than a baseball stadium. And defending... Champs, Champs, SAFC, yeah, 4-0. I mean, but the problem is like, there's nothing there, there. There, yeah. Well, mm. there's a lot of space and a, a lot of things that can be done, but nobody's doing it. And I understand because the only people who go out there is for the games. You can't exactly run a business when they're just only going there for games. You need other things around there too. Mm-hmm. It has to be a collective um, decision and an actual full-on development of the entire area. Like if there's not a game at Q2 in Austin, people are still going to the domain to shop or whatever. There's a mall there, you know, all kinds of stuff. I mean, think about it wherever you go, you go to a game at UT, you pour onto Sixth street. Basically mm-hmm. you got red river second, you've got all that stuff. Six streets right there. Like you leave a UT game and there's tons to do. Like everything feeds to that area. And whether you're from town or not, there are hotels in case things happen. Like everything is set up to kind of pour money into that situation. And the more things you have in that area, the better it does for the entire area. Like I base not, you know, the amount of missions game, like I may go to a missions game per year or a SAFC game or two a year because I don't want to go out there, have a good time. There's nothing else there. And, like, I want the good time not to stop when the game is. Right. You don't want to have to get a $20, $30 Uber out of the stadium because it's crowded. To go somewhere else to continue the good time. I want the good time to continue and then finish going home after that. Yeah. That's fair enough. Take the one Uber, which I think a lot of people think like I do. I don't want to go somewhere and have to go somewhere else to continue 
I want to continue my good time, like the good vibes, once the game is over. And then once that's finally done, either get a hotel or yeah. Uber home from there. You're and, talking about Alamo Ironworks. I feel like you could buy them out if you really wanted, <laughs> you know, turn into a club. So keep the same name. That'd be a good club name. Look, the reason we keep talking about all this stuff is because Victor Wimbanyama is changed the narrative around San Antonio. And with him being here, there is a whole new outlook on what the San Antonio Spurs are. And he played in his first game last night. Now, it was a mixed bag. Offensively, he was only 2 of 13 and had 9 points. So it wasn't the best offensive performance. But remember, he's playing on a lot of short rest. But he had 8 rebounds and 5 blocks. And that's where his presence is going to be felt immediately. So... Because of the mixed bag, Victor kind of started talking about how he thought his first game as a spur went. Yeah, special moment. Uh, really, really special, you know, to, to, to wear that jersey for the first time. It's really an honor. And uh, overall, I'm, I'm glad we won this game. Uh, no, there's no better way to start, uh, to start a, for a premiere. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'm... Uh, Honestly, I, did, I didn't really know what I was doing on the court tonight, but uh, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, I'm trying to learn for the next games, and the, the important is to be ready for, for the season. Didn't really know he was doing either. That's okay. <laughs> Doesn't have to. You Don't never have to learn, Victor. You're good. You just keep doing you. <laughs> We're here to hold your hand. I'm just kidding. No, I mean, we talked about this, you know, eh. He's been through a lot, a lot of movement, traveling, um, different country, all kinds of things. It's understandable, the performance. Britney Spears just adding some (laughs) fuel to the fire. I mean, he's, you know, he's upset an entire millennial generation over that. (laughs) But, uh, is what it is. You probably saw, even know who the Britney video. Spears yeah, is. I think that's probably, honestly, I think that's what happened. He probably didn't recognize her. I mean, I seen the video. He never looked back, though. Yeah, it wasn't him. It was a security, was a security guard, guard, and the security guard just kept her back like he would anyone. Yeah, and, and they, but I, of course, they blew it out of proportion. You know, yeah, yeah. But no, she's no. yelling and running up on him in a British accent, yeah. which and a British accent. Yeah. Oh, bless her. <laughs> bless her little heart. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I still love her. I still love her, but uh, I love Southernisms. Yeah. So much sometimes. <laughs> like, bless your heart is the <laughs> most. <laughs> bless your heart. <laughs> because people from not the South, like, I. I, I They're like, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> not knowing how condescending we are being when we say something like yeah. that. <laughs> it but is I, the but, nicest insult you will ever yeah. hear. But also, it's like. <laughs> You know, you do want her, you want her to be better. Like she does need better mental health. She needs better support, really and truly. At this like, point, though, she like well. At this point, she's done it what is she's what it done. is. Yeah, right? She's, she's done what she's done. Yeah, I get that. And but I mean, you can still get help at any time. Not for sure. You know, right. you can still get help at any time, and that's why sure. I'm like, actually, bless her because you know she's pop queen. And she's going through some stuff, and she's not getting the proper help or support, partly because of herself. <laughs> but, you know, that's the thing with mental health is these people, there's a reason she had a caretaker, right? Because she couldn't make 
proper decisions. But um, but we free Britney. It is also slightly yeah. condescending. I can't well, take it. Should have told her don't run up on somebody <laughs> right. from behind. Right. But as someone who but, has security, right. you should know better. Right. right? That's the yeah. other side of the coin. There is like she should know better. But she's also Britney, so she probably doesn't think she has to know better. True. She probably thinks True. everyone in the world knows. Knows who I am. Unless you're a 19 year old Gen Zer <laughs> who's you know from France who probably didn't grow up with Britney in your face. So. It's Britney, bitch. It's Britney. <laughs> I wanted to say that, but yeah. I, I, I get it. <laughs> he is Nate Askew. She is Katie Goodman. You're locked into the Saturday morning hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star 94.1 FM. When we come back, McAfee had Laramie Tunsil on yesterday. Houston Texans' highest paid player and the highest paid offensive lineman in the NFL. He weighed in on the state of the Texans and who he thinks should be the Texans starting quarterback, it sounds like, when the season opens. We'll get into that next right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, 941 FM and com. I got your picture, I'm coming with you, dear Maria, come me in. There's a story at the bottom of this bottle and on the pen. Welcome back into the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM, SASportsStar.com. I'm James Pledger, joined by Katie Goodman, and sitting in for Jack Thompson, I got my guy, Nate Askew, joining me. What's up, what's up? Former NFL vet, Texas A&M Aggie, and Madison Maverick. Played both sides of the ball, actually. Yeah, athlete. Athlete. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because you were a receiver at Madison, started as a receiver at A&M, went to tight end. Then went to linebacker. Then went to linebacker, right? Now went from receiver to linebacker. Okay. And then from linebacker to, to outside end. linebacker, tight end yeah. in the NFL, right? Yeah. It kind of sounds like my dad. That's what my dad did. <laughs> did went to Auburn. Athlete. Mm-hmm. Should have yep. went to A&M, though, but athlete. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey. Hell's hey. hey. You see this hoodie I'm wearing? I, I see. Hey. Y'all want to look like us so bad. Hey. <laughs> oh, my God. First off, you came to our conference. Well, because they had to show you how to wear colors. that color. Well, I, they hey. had to James, show you how to wear it right James, yeah. I'll rip those headphones off your head so fast. <laughs> Don't get me started, y'all. Oh, man. Look what you started, man. I know. Man, I know. Shoot. I'm live. <laughs> I can't cuss like I want to. I know. <laughs> Look, uh, training camps are less than a month away now. We're a few weeks out from NFL training camps. Positions are being fought for. We've gone through rookie mini camps and team mini camps so far to this point as we get ready for training camp and OTAs. Mm-hmm. And so, in a rookie's development, there's a lot of information you're processing at this point in time. One of my, uh, and I say in quotes, favorite, which is my least favorite things, is organizations, and I don't want to say it's lying to us, but the quote-unquote competition aspect of things, right? I understand everything's a competition, but at some point, like, you have to pull the plug because... The locker room knows, right? Yeah. So Laramie Tunsil, the Texans' uh, longest tenure vet, uh, eight-year pro. I think he's been with the team since 2019. He is the highest paid, or as he likes to say, 
the twice highest paid offensive lineman in in the NFL. Um, and he is that dude. He's a Pro Bowler. He's the he's the best player on that team, and he has been for a few years because they had to tear it down. But there's something different about this year, and he spoke to the hiring of D'Amico Ryan's and what it meant for the organization. It's a whole new vibe, man. D'Amico came in with that energy that he brought from San Fran and, and just changed the whole vibe around the building, and that's something that we needed, especially since these last past three years. Man, we've been in the rut, so D'Amico coming to the building, he brought some new coaches in. We got some new players, man. It's just a whole new vibe that's in that building, and it feels great to be there. What was that three times in about 15 seconds he said a whole new vibe? Whole new vibe. Whole new vibe. Because it is. And the fans can feel. I know I felt it uh, this year. Once they hired D'Amico Ryans, once they signed Sheldon Rankins and Dalton Schultz, uh, when they did what they did in the draft where I was live in Kansas City and got to witness that thing firsthand, it was a whole new vibe. And it's re-energized the fan base. And you wondered if the players kind of felt the same thing, and apparently they do. But part of that whole new vibe was they were lying to us or, you know, smoke screening, whatever they were doing about what they were going to do at number two and maybe possibly not liking a quarterback and blah, blah, blah. When you kind of control the board at that point, why are you smoke screening quarterbacks so hard? But they end up taking C.J. Stroud number two overall. And he is now the future of that franchise moving forward. And then they trade back up, take Will Anderson. That was, you know, now you got your franchise cornerstones on both sides of the ball, back to back. And part of doing so is you gave up your own first next year, which means this team is intent on winning. Because if you could give up Cleveland's first next year, but by giving up your own, you have made the intention of, it's not what it's been the last two years. And it's felt in the locker room, but once again, much like the smoke screen of the, uh, we don't know what we're doing at number two, we don't know about the quarterbacks, we might not even like one in this draft. <laughs> I don't know why they do that. I don't either, and it bothers me. But there is the thing that most teams do is a quarterback battle between Davis Mills who was so bad that you felt the need to take C.J. Stroud number two overall last year. And C.J. Stroud. Well, on McAfee's show the other day, Tunsil was asked what his early impressions are of C.J. Stroud. He handled himself well. He's a, he, he came in the building with these, lead, these unbelievable leadership skills, and he's, he's killing it, man. Like, how I describe C.J. is dog. He's a straight dog. He comes in there ready to work. He handles the huddle perfectly, and he go out there and ball, man. You know, you got to appreciate that, especially in a young quarterback like CJ. Dog. Dog. <laughs> and Laramie also doubled down on this with a recent Instagram post with a photo of CJ Stroud, and it said QB1 with the fingers crossed emoji. The locker room knows, right? Nate? Yeah, at some point, you know. Um, and it sounds like Laramie knows. <laughs> so I'll say this. I was around when I was in Tennessee when we drafted Marcus Mariota. Yes. Uh, in the first round. Um, backup quarterback was Zap Manberger. 
Oh, God. At LSU. Yeah, I remember Zach. And I saw how they treated that. I feel like you knew they tried to split reps with him for a little while. Um, during, during training camp? During training camp, OTAs. And then you kind of knew that Marcus was the, the clear day one starter. Um, obviously, you practice against each other every day. You see who's making plays. You see who's confident. You see who's who's commanding uh, leadership and who who's running the huddle. And you kind of get a vibe from it. I went mm-hmm. through that a couple of times with Johnny Manziel and mm-hmm. Jamil Showers. We kind of knew Johnny took the lead after a scrimmage we had, and we was like, okay, he's going to be our, our, our QB1. And then a week later, they named him QB1. So you, you know. How important is is it that they – because it sounds like Laramie already knows. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like yeah. Laramie's like, this is our dude. Like, how quickly do they have to make this decision because of the new – restrictions placed in training camp practices, how many reps you get, what you're able to do. Like everything's been ratcheted back so far. And we keep hearing how valuable these first team reps are for people, especially rookies. Like how quickly do they have to come to this decision? I think you have to decide week two of training camp. Because I remember Bill O'Brien did this with uh, – Tom Savage and Deshaun Watson. Oh, yeah. And then he trotted Desha- uh, Tom Savage out there week one and didn't make it out of the first half. Yeah. And everybody knew it was Deshaun. I don't know if they do that because they want you to earn it, want the rookie to feel like you have to earn it. It's clear cut starter. Is that the dumbest thing ever, though? Right. Like, are coaches They're really human. that? This rookie is sitting in the locker room right now like, he sucks. I, I need to be on the field. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. that's just that's how it is. So I, yeah. I think to answer your question, the second week of training camp needs to be. He's getting the reps. He, he needs to get the, get the reps. Because then you have a week to get ready for preseason one. So your first two weeks is going to be, you know, install. Uh, you're going to go all over the whole install in. Then you're going to start game planning again. And I think he needs to get into that. And my guy, Gerard Johnson, actually just got hired as a quarterback's yeah, yeah. coach. Um, yeah. former, former teammate at A&M. Uh, and I think he gonna, he gonna he's going to do a good job. And he's a great QB coach. Yeah. Like, he's Gerard. been doing stuff not in the NFL, basically. Yeah. He was with the Vikings for a little bit. Yeah, he was there for a little um, bit. But then he, was, he was coaching. I think he was the OC, I want to say, at, is it Humble? Or somewhere, in, Humble. somewhere in Houston. Yeah. Somewhere in Houston, he's the OC at a high school. Um, I think he'd get him right because – I'm not saying they're the same player, but I feel like they have the same kind of attributes mm-hmm. as when they played. Uh, strong on very decisive run if they need to. Mm-hmm. Not a big runner, though, but if they need to, if they need to get out and be athletic. So I think it'd be a good person to lean on and kind of help develop his game. The biggest thing, though, is I hate how quarterbacks get drafted into the NFL first round and be expected to be the, the savior of a mm-hmm. franchise and get thrown in a fire too fast, and then it hurts their confidence, and now they're a bad quarterback. And really, they were, they were a good quarterback. It's just the situation they was in yeah. was a little, you know, so. Geno Smith. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You see it right now, right? So it's just like, I don't know if coaches do that just because they, they're iffy about that or if it's a game they're trying to play. Now, how much, because we go back to the previous draft and this offseason with with their free agency moves. They bring in Devin Singletary. Mm-hmm. They've got uh, Damian Pierce in front of them. They bring in Mike Boone, who uh, played well for the Broncos last year as well. And they have this running back stable now. They've 
completely solidified the offensive line. You had two of the better tackles with Tunzel and Howard. You've added a second-round rookie offensive lineman in uh, Juice Scruggs out of Penn State. You drafted Kenyon Green in the first round the previous year. You trade for Shaq Mason to play the other guard position. And you even doubled down by drafting Jared Patterson out of Notre Dame, who didn't give up a sack his entire college career as you know, backup options in case yeah. either Kenyon Green or Juice Scruggs doesn't work out. Like, they have put pieces in front of him and yeah. around him to try and help him succeed early on. And you're in an offense in the Shanahan-style offense with Bobby Sloak as the offensive coordinator. Isn't that, that where Schultz – didn't Schultz go there? Schultz, Did he sign a one-year deal, yep. right? Yeah. So you've got, That'd be a, good security you've got a security blanket for him. Security blanket and Dalton yeah. Schultz. And you've got an offense that is very quarterback friendly in terms of leaning on the run game. Yeah. How how much do having those aspects help make yeah. him the day one starter an easier decision? It's big. It's big because, like you said, you can if, in the NFL. It's I know it's a passing league now, but the person who establishes a run game is the person who's going to. Establish a passing game. Yeah, you have to run the ball no matter what. You have to at some point. And I, I see. I, I understand the it's a run game aspect of the NFL. Yeah, but my when you watch football, it's it it is, but it isn't. Like yeah, we yeah. devalue running backs because you can find running backs. Like the reason quarterbacks are elevated is because there yeah, aren't that many of them. Mm-hmm. Running backs, you can find a dime a dozen. Yeah. It's not so much they're not necessary, it's just they're plentiful. Yeah. And so that's kind of devalued Saquon Barkley and, and Miles Sanders and why you saw this season the biggest running back contract only being $6.5 million crazy, a year. Crazy, right? Like, it sucks for them, but it's because there's so many of yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. I think it's big for them, though. It'd be good. Because now, now you surround yourself. You're getting protected up front. You're not rushing. You're not on your back the whole time. Um, now it's, you'd be a playmaker. What you got drafted number two overall for. Make the plays when you need to make the play. And, of course, with Shanahan's offense, it is, it is very, which is why when everybody says anybody can play in the Shanahan offense, no, they can't. <laughs> because we've seen it. Like, Brock Purdy played extremely well in it. Trey yeah. Lance did not. Yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo played very well in it. Uh, Mullins, the uh, uh, kid out of Mississippi State, did not. Sorry. <laughs> Don't be tarnishing our name like that. <laughs> but We're still trying to make a comeback over here. Like <laughs> It is conducive because it is schemed to get people open and, and in space, and that is the whole concept of the offense is you run off play action. The play action is sold, which opens up windows for you to throw into but it's about timing and accuracy and hitting a person in space on the move so that they can then make a play with the football in their hands on the move, which is what made Jimmy Garoppolo so successful in that offense and other quarterbacks in the Shanahan-Kubiak style. That's why Matt Schaub was so good at it. He was very good at timing and delivering the ball in space in windows where they were supposed to open up. Some quarterbacks can't do that. And that's why when people like to denigrate what Brock Purdy did last year because of the system that he's in, Purdy, I I have an issue with that because it is not the easiest system. 
it is beneficial to quarterbacks who can thrive in that system, but not every quarterback can. He is Nate Askew. She is Katie Goodman. I'm James Fledger. This is the Saturday Morning Hangover. We're going to put a bow on the show and get you ready for your weekend. And, of course, Wimby, Game 2, coming up on Sunday. But before that, he's got a big party to go to. We'll tell you about it next right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, 941 FM and SASportsStar.com. Oh, it's Saturday night. That's right, we're getting you ready for Saturday night here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM, SASportsStar.com. James Fledger, Katie Goodman, Nate Askew sitting in for Jack Thompson this morning. Michael Rubin, owner of Fanatics, used to own the Sixers or part of them, I think. Big time celebrity, had a white party over 4th of July with Tom Brady, and it was seeing him getting close with a couple of different people, Kim Kardashian, Emily Ratajkowski, J-Lo was there, Ben Affleck, Jay-Z, Beyonce, James Harden, Michael Parsons, like stars. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, stars. Like the biggest of the big are at Michael Rubin's party. Well, he's throwing another party. This weekend, tonight actually, uh, he's teaming up with the NBA Players Association and the NBA Summer League Players Party tonight in Vegas with Lil Baby performing. Joel Embiid's going to be there. Meek Mill's going to be there. Brandon Miller's going to be there, who we saw play last night. Scoot Henderson and Victor Wimbanyama is going to be there. I mean, he obviously lost my invite in the mail. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just low-key offended. He didn't send a backup invite. Yeah. I, I, look, I keep uh, refreshing to see if my uh, right? texts come through, but I haven't gotten it yet. Dang. Nate, you got a plus one? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not that much of a star, huh? Yeah. Uh, no invite. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this is the cost of doing business. Victor Wimbanyama is a huge name, much like Michael Parsons is in the NFL or Tom Brady, former NFL player. Like, Hey, Michael Rubin throws the party of parties. He is throwing a party now, and Victor Wimbanyama is going to be a part of this party tonight, the day before his second summer league game when he plays Scoot Henderson, the number three overall pick, who will also be there. I mean, now's the time to do this stuff, right? But also, after that first performance, I don't know, maybe you want to settle down and focus on basketball. I mean, he's what, 7'3", whatever he is, yeah. and like, he can sneak and drink. He's underage. <laughs> right, right. I don't think he'll have a problem at this party, you know? Well, that's going to do it for the Saturday Morning Hangover. Thanks for joining us this weekend. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you next week.